The Urban Broadcast Collective brings together the best podcasts on cities and urban life. Subscribe to us on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. This podcast is supported by VPLA, the Victorian Planning Environmental Law Association. You're listening to PX76. I'm Jess Noonan, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Peter Jewell. Hello, Jess. We've said this a few times, and I'll say it again, but one of the positives coming out of the COVID-19 scenario is that we've uh, managed to start using Zoom, which has enabled us to commence international interviews. So today, we're very fortunate to be joined by Madam Luca, who's joining us all the way from Malawi in southeastern Africa. Lannan's name may be familiar to many of our Victorian planners listening as he spent a large part of his career from about 2000 to 2014 working in Australia at both the City of Moreland and Greater Dandenong City Council. He first came to Australia to complete his postgrad studies at the University of Melbourne in the late 90s. These days, Lannan is a lecturer in urban and regional planning at Mizuzu University in Malawi. Welcome to the show, Lannan. It's great to have you. It's great to uh, be able to uh, speak to you. Now, have I have I missed anything in your in your um, in your background um, when you were working in Australia, Loudon, or is that is that everywhere that you worked, City of Moreland and Greater Dandenong Council? Well, I had stints in the other councils. I oh, did. Okay. Yeah, there were short term stints. I worked for Darabin for maybe two months, Nirambik two months. And that was, those were student jobs. Yeah, fantastic. Um, then the Brimbank. And so what brought you to Australia originally, Loudon? Was it for your studies predominantly? Yes, I came to Australia to do my studies. Okay. In, the, in urban and regional planning. And what attracted you to come to Australia to do that study? Well, uh, curiously, I used to work for the Housing Commission of Malawi. And uh, my general manager at the time had studied at uh, Melbourne University. So it came highly recommended by him. And um, um, I was happy to meet one or two professors who still remembered him at Melbourne University. So that's, that's the reason why I was attracted to Melbourne University. Loudon, it's, it's great to hear your voice again, old friend. I remember all the hard times you used to give me when you're at Dandenong. And I think at Moreland, <laughs> but it's it's lovely to it's lovely to hear you again and, and to and to see you just before. Now, I can't co- imagine anyone um, anyone giving Pete a hard time. It's usually Pete giving everyone else a hard time. <laughs> well, uh, we used to have good good good, good fun together. Man. We did. You know, it was hard time from both ends. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Now, now, Loudon, cultural differences. Obviously, there's a big difference between Australia and Malawi. How did you navigate a lot of those cultural differences when you were in Australia, in sort of in the professional sense when working? Well, hard work. Um, when I arrived in Australia in 1997, I hardly knew knew anybody in Australia. Uh, but I was lucky to, you know, um, establish some some very good networks. I'll never forget um, the uh, the network that I struck up with my then supervisor, 
because initially I, I, I enrolled at the Victoria University of Technology. And my then supervisor was uh, Mrs. Sheila Bayard. And both of you know Russell Bayard very, very well. And Sheila introduced me to, to Russell. And Russell took me to my first planning conference in Australia. I remember it was in August 1997. And that's when my networks started to, um, to blossom because Russell introduced me to um, Barry Craddock, who used to be development manager at Darabin. And that's how I got my first planning job as a student. The in best Australia. networking always comes out of a good conference, Arden. Networking is the greatest thing that you could ever have. So uh, it really, really exposed me to opportunities. Um, so after those uh, student planner stints, um, my first job really at the city of Greater Dandenong was through another network who was a, a lecturer at um, Melbourne University. He might not recall this. Um, can't recall his name off, off the top of my head this time. But he was an Irish man. Do you know him? Do you remember him? Oh, Jess, Jess has got Irish background in Aladdin. <laughs> I, I, I certainly know <laughs> Russell Byard. He, no, for, not for our sure. listeners, he was on the he was on the tribe. No, the Irish man who used to, to lecture at um, Melbourne University. How can I forget his name? <laughs> well it's been a long time. Yeah, but it was through him that um no, I got I got my, my reference for a job at the um, Greater Dandenong City Council, and uh, um, you know I had my first stint at Greater Dandenong City Council from 2000 to 2002, working there as a planner, learning the ropes. Uh, but uh, within uh, within a short period of time, I gained the confidence of. The organization they promoted me from um, planner to senior planner within ten months, and um, you know gave me gave me a leadership role at the time, which I really appreciate. Um, I liked I used to like Vicat a lot, and uh, I won a, a few red dotted case, cases, which assisted me, which assisted me in uh, getting a job at. Moreland City Council as an urban planning appeals advocate. And Laden, your your wife is also from Malawi. Did you did you meet in Australia, or did she come with you when you came over to visit there to do your studies? No, we met in Malawi. Okay, fantastic. Yes. And she's also yes. a planner. No, she's not. She's an environmental scientist. Environmental. Okay, close. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so, mm-hmm. Laden, in that experience working in all those different local governments within Victoria. What surprised you about town planning in Australia more generally? Well, it was well advanced in terms of the technology that um, um, was used. Um, before I came to Australia, Australia um, well, we never had so- computer software that, used, uh, that uh, we used to assist us in our day-to-day work as planners. GIS was a far-fetched dream. Um, so it was the technology, but also it was the sophistication in terms of 
processes, laws, and, and policies um, that, um, that the Australian planning system, apart from the Malawian planning system. Uh, Loudon, you, you mentioned VCAP before, and you had an early, early successes there. Um, for readers outside of Victoria, that's the, uh, the dispute tribunal that we have in Victoria where parties take their uh, differences. And Loudon was referring to a red dot decision. The tribunal put those on uh, influential decisions that they reach that have uh, potential for precedent. But Loudon, apart from that sort of work, what things in your professional capacity uh, that you that you didn't do in Australia that you wished you had have done. Any any reflections on that? Yes. Well, most of all my work in Australia was in statutory planning, and I would really have loved to to do um, strategic planning. But uh, the way that my career progressed uh, meant that uh, I could not do strategic planning. Um, if I wanted to forge ahead with them, you know, in terms of promotions and uh, and responsibilities, so I really would have loved to do a lot more strategic planning. And Dandenong had a lot of strategic planning, um, including revitalization of the central um, Dandenong, central business district of Dandenong. Uh, I was in Dandenong, but uh, in terms of involvement in that great project. Uh, it was really peripheral. Um, I would have loved to have had hands-on involvement in that, in that project because it was such a such a significant project. I think the the councils are getting much better, um, particularly in the last couple of years at integrating the statutory and strategic planning departments. But I can imagine mm. back then um, it would have been very siloed. So, as you say, mm. very difficult to sort of move in between the two um, different types yeah. of planning. So. Um, and I wanted to ask you as well, Loudon, obviously you moved back to Malawi in about 2014, 2015. What drew you back yeah. there? Well, all along my time, uh, and I spent 17 years in, in Australia, all, all along my time, I felt that I owed my country something, uh, that the knowledge that I had gained in Australia should be shared with my compatriots back in Malawi. So I seized on the opportunity to uh, take up a lecturing job at one of the universities in Malawi that offers urban planning. And when it came up, I really did not hesitate. Um, so it's been a rewarding experience so far, uh, nurturing young talent, being an inspiration to, to them, and they actually say this, we are really, really inspired by, to be um, taught by someone who has actually practiced um, urban planning in an advanced economy. And you know, the examples that I bring to my lectures are priceless. So, so far it's been a great experience. And I've been, you would have seen from my short CV that I've also been head of department of the built environment department. In my, during my tenure, I took our students on, a, on a, an educational trip, an exchange educational trip to Germany, to the University of uh, Nottingham. 
twice, 2018 and 2019. Those were great learning experiences, not just for the students, but for myself as well, to learn the German um, planning system. And in our country, in those two years, and there was such a, an exciting exchange of um, knowledge between the two, the, the two universities. Well, Loudon, you certainly taught me a few things on occasions. I remember you tabbed me up at VCAT a couple of times with your... What, what did I tell you? With, with your, what did I tell well, you? Well, your thoroughness, um, your attention to mm -hmm. detail, um, yes. and your, your lovely demeanour. But anyway, I flattered you <laughs> enough. Now, <laughs> Loudon, tell us, tell us uh, please tell our listeners a little bit about your great country um, in terms of where it is, the, the population and climate, and, and I, I, you know, I ex please excuse my ignorance about Malawi, but just yes. a very brief yes. overview for our listeners. Okay, well, you've called it a great country, and I regard it as such. Others would say it's a tiny, poor African country, which I don't agree with. Um, Malawi, as you have rightly pointed out, is in southeastern Africa. In fact, sometimes it's referred to as the warm heart of Africa because the people are very, very friendly. Um, it, it has a, a rapidly growing population despite the devastating effects of, uh, of HIV and AIDS on the population, but the population is, has still been uh, growing fast. Um, in terms of uh, the share of the population that lives in, in cities, that's very small. It's about 18%. So it's a mostly rural um, country, but urban planning is still um, a very important aspect of uh, the socioeconomic development of the country. We have uh, four major cities. They might not be in the same rank as the Australian cities, but they're cities anyway. Um, the oldest city is called Blantyre. Now, if you if you if you if you can if you if you, if you can tell from the name, it's not a Malawian name. This city was established by Scottish missionaries, and they came from Blantyre in Scotland. And Blantyre is the birthplace of David Livingstone, and Livingstone has had such a very um, profound impact on the history of this country. There's Livingstonia everywhere, Livingstonia University, Livingstonia uh, Church. So he had such a great impact on, the, they on this country. Presbyterians, um, Lab? Presbyterians or? Yeah, pre yes, 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 yeah, Scottish. Presbyter Presbyterians. And, and, yeah. and Livingston yes. was famous for, well, supposedly discovering the source of the Nile. Is that? <laughs> no, 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 not him, not him. Oh. Um, Livingstone was famously um, was for, famous for having discovered in quotes Lake Nyasa. And Lake Nyasa, what do you call Lake Nyasa? Is now what is called Lake Very interesting Malawi. Um, yeah. He just happened to be at the southern tip of Lake Malawi on his travels uh, from um, all the way from South Africa by boat and other means of transportation. And he found a vast expanse of water, which was only the southern tip of Lake Malawi. 
by the way, Lake Malawi is the third biggest in, in Africa. And there he interrogated the local people. Um, and he wanted to find out the name of that lake. And it has turned out the people just had called it a lake. They, it didn't have a proper name. So in their language, they, they said, this is Nyasa. And Nyasa in that, in that language means lake. So Livingstone thought that that was the proper name of the, of the lake. So he called it in his records, called it Lake Nyasa. And the name has stuck since then. Because much as we in Malawi call it Lake Malawi, the Mozambicans, our neighbors to the east, and the Tanzanians, our neighbors to the north, still call, call it Lake Nyasa. That's a great story, Lan. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. So Livingston has such a, such a profound um, influence on the history of uh, this, this, this nation. But let me just say, um, enlighten your, uh, your, your, your listeners a little bit about Malawi. Apart from the, the, uh, the, the fact that it's a rap rapidly growing population, urbanization is levels of urbanization are low, but the rate of urbanization is really high uh, by international standards. So we face a lot of challenges, mainly stepping from, I mean, stemming from our economic um, situation. We're not a rich nation. We're in fact a poor, um, developing country. So there's not much money to make our cities livable environments, as livable as our uh, Australian cities are. So we face a lot of, ch a lot of challenges. Now, how did urban planning <clears throat> come about? Well, because we are a British colony, when the landmark Town and Country Planning Act was passed in the UK in 1947. A year later, because we're a colony, 1948, we received that law. It was a received law. There's a term, there is, there, there is, there is, there is a legal term um, about colonial law trickling down to the colonies. And the, it is called a received law. It became a received law, mainly aimed at managing the then existing, the only existing major major urban center in this country called Blantyre, as I um, as I mentioned earlier. So there were laws. These were very very strange laws that we didn't understand as indigenous people. But the colonial administrators and the, the settlers did understand that law and it worked to their to their benefit um but over over the years after independence in 1964 uh, we didn't see it fit to, to change the law until much later on in fact it was uh, 1988 that we changed that law to reflect the realities of malawi okay but we still called it the Town and Country Planning Act of 1988, which became operation, uh, operational in 1991. I guess what? Nothing happened between 1991 and 2016. 
um, in 2016, the planning law was uh, reviewed among other laws that are related to land. And this comes from a major reform on land issues that um, um, started in the late 1990s. And that looked at all aspects of land and, uh, and that included urban planning. So in 2016, that law was passed as a new law. And the curious say they called it the Physical Planning Act. Now, if I mention physical planning to my Australian colleagues, <laughs> they don't know that this, it embraces urban and regional planning. Um, this is what, what it is. So that new law has been in operation since 2016. What are the, uh, based on that, so that's a really interesting planning history, obviously, in Malawi, but what are the um, the short and well, maybe less about the short, but the medium and the longer term planning issues that are now confronting Malawi as a result of that planning legislation coming in? Well, <clears throat> the short and medium term challenges remain infrastructure provision. Our cities are underprovided for from an infrastructure perspective. Um, that's because of the way infrastructure, urban infrastructure is, is funded. Um, our urban centers are autonomous. Um, they are allowed to collect city rates and, and taxes to finance different aspects of development and the infrastructure provision, but the base, the economic base for our cities is just so, is so small. So they are struggling. Uh, so you find that most of our infrastructure in our cities leaves a lot to be desired. It's hardly maintained, not expanded in time, so that creates problems such as congestion from a transportation perspective, not because we've got too many cars, but because the roads are not adequate to um, cope with the traffic that um, is emerging. Um, apart from that, um, our urban resilience is another challenge. This is the climate change related because of climate variability. Um, we face challenges of flooding almost every year in our cities and coupled with the infrastructure that is not able to cope with them, um, the, the excessive flooding, we, we find that, uh, you know, every year our cities suffer from disasters of various types arising uh, from the flooding phenomenon. So urban resilience is a, an issue because most of the de devastation affects the poor, those who can't afford to rebuild um, and rebuild fast. So that's, uh, that's emerging as a, a, a short and medium term challenge. And so, so Loudon, how does that then influence, I guess, the, the type of um, topics and um, uh, the lectures that you're involved with at Mizuzu University, it, is the content, I guess, structured yes. around some of these 
key issues looking into the medium and longer term? Yes. Our content is responsive to the challenges that we're facing in this country. Um, initially, when we was to respond to the land reforms, so um, our, 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 our course curricula uh, were designed to equip students with the skills and expertise on the issues to do with urban land reform, uh, well, land reform in, in, in general and urban land use. Um, but over the years, we found that um, it's, that's, that's the, 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 the scope is narrow. So we expanded our scope to include emerging issues such as disaster risk, urban disaster risk management, climate change management, um, and so many other things. So we rebranded from the Department of Land Management to the Department of the Belt Environment. Um, we have traditionally been multidisciplinary in that we've been training land surveyors, um, valuers and the estate managers alongside the urban planners. So there is a um, um, there's a there's a, uh, a lot of uh, synergies between the three um, programs. So in first year, everybody takes um, the same the, 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 the same courses, same subjects, until they reach the second year when they start kind of specializing into their various um, specializations until they graduate. And so Loudon as well, did your Australian experience help, I guess, shape some of the, those courses that you're now teaching at Mizuzu University? Like, was that part of the, yeah, part of the restructuring of that course? Yes, I've contributed to curriculum review and uh, some of my Australian experience has been built into the review of the curriculum, various subjects. Thank you to Song Bowden Planners, who offer excellent personalised service. Call Dave Song or Dan Bowden through details on our website. Also, we thank Victorian Planning Reports, our very first supporter. If you want the A to Z of planning decisions in Victoria and excellent editorials, please get yourself a subscription to the VPRs. Details on our website. This podcast is supported by our wonderful friends at One Mile Grid. One Mile Grid is a boutique consulting firm which offers traffic and transport engineering, transport planning and waste management services. You can find out more by visiting their website at www.onemilegrid.com.au. Loudon, can you talk to your role as president of the Planners Institute of of Malawi? Thank you, Peter. I was uh, the president of the Malawi Institute of Physical Planners from 2016 to rather recently to 2020 August. So my role was to oversee um, professional development within the urban planning uh, profession, um, respond to emerging issues as a professional institute and ensure that um, there is quality um, content in all the two, sorry, both two, we have two universities, no, the three now, you know, all the three 
universities that are offering urban planning as, as a program. So um, I led um, the institute for four years until 2021 when I felt that I had saved long enough. And uh, um, during new elections, I didn't want to run again and someone else is president. And, and, um, and can we, you were talking, uh, Loudon, before about the, the urbanisation rate in Malawi. What about housing? How, is the, how are the people who are moving to the cities being accommodated? Is it, um, is it in, in sort of temporary housing? Is it, uh, what, what, are the new, what are the new areas like? Well, that's a very big challenge for all of, of our cities because the rate at which people are migrating to, to cities is such that um, urban authorities cannot cope with in terms of provision of infrastructure um, for housing. So as a result of that, uh, most of the new migrants to cities are housed in temporary well, temporary in courts because they, because this thing has been happening for such a long time, they become, they have become permanent. Um, temporary to temporary um, <clears throat> places where they could build, you know, simple structures, um, doesn't cost that much money for them to build the, the, uh, the, the housing structures in those locations. Uh, but then, the authorities still go, uh, regard the, those settlements as illegal, as squatter settlements, and as slums. So the rate at which slums and squatter settlements are growing in our cities is alarming. A study that, was, that I saw conducted some four years ago revealed that over 65% of the new settlements in our major cities are occupied by squatters that are um, <clears throat> characterized by illegal land occupation, substandard housing, by substandard I mean housing that cannot withstand the extreme weather events that I mentioned, that every year get washed away by floods because the standards are so poor. Um, you would you'd be wondering what the role of the government is in terms of addressing the housing question, the housing challenges. We do have a policy arm within the government itself that looks at housing in, a general term, in general terms, but there's no specific um, arm of the government which looks at the housing conditions of the poor in, in cities, unfortunately. So this has the exacerbated the the the, the 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 problem i was gonna i was gonna say i was gonna say loudon that 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 the experiences that you describe are, are common in many places in the third world um with you know with rapid urbanization and, and those trends are set to only escalate or sort of increase um one way is to give squatters some sort of private rights so that they invest more in their settlements. That's one idea I've heard. But I was getting to the question, where do you look for uh, inspiration of how to deal with these rapid urbanisation issues with resources being fairly scarce? Are there certain countries that you look to? 
Well, in terms of how we learn from others in Africa, yes, Rwanda has been an, a, an excellent example uh, from which we have been learning in terms of the approach to everything, including housing for the urban poor. Um, <clears throat> other countries around us are doing much better than we are. Even Zimbabwe is doing much better. So those are people that we look um, we look to to learn from in terms of their experiences. But as I said, <clears throat> for a country that is 82% rural and only 18% urban, politicians don't see this as a, as a pressing issue because the majority of their, 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 their voters are in rural areas. So they would rather spend money on rural areas than on urban areas and leave, only leave the urban governments to deal with the challenges that um, they are facing, which uh, is really daunting. That, that, that's tough, Ladin. That's really a difficult situation. What, what are the projections in terms of the urbanisation of Malawi and say, have you got, can you say by the year 2035, the urbanisation urban rate would be 30% or have you got some figures or projections on those sort of things? Yes, Peter. <clears throat> um, soon after I, I arrived in Malawi in 2014, a friend of mine I invited me to a consultancy to prepare what we, we called the Malawi Urban Report uh, in readiness for the, that global conference on urbanization that took place uh, in, in, in Quito, the city of Quito in Colombia. You may not be aware of this. No. Um, so <clears throat> um, we did some projections in terms of the rates of urbanization going forward 30 years from, the, from, from, from then to maybe the year of 2050. On the basis of the rate of, of urbanization, um, 30% of the people in this country will be living in urban areas, uh, which in terms of absolute figures, it's a lot of people. And uh, we looked at um, the way that um, our government was um, managing our cities and found that uh, the current problems that we are facing in the housing sector, especially, will get worse and worse if nothing uh, is done about it. Um, so in terms of uh, um, the rates of urbanization, um, they are only going to get uh, um, uh, higher and higher. And the, the problems that we are facing currently will just be will, will pale in, in, in comparison. And Ladin, where's, where's the migration coming from? Is it coming from other countries or is it just coming from the rural areas into the cities? I would say coming largely from rural areas into the cities. But again, historically, we've had international migration um, from, from our neighbours in Mozambique. Mozambique had been... In, um, in a civil war for quite some time. 
and uh, some of the um, yeah, of some of the people um, escaped and became migrants to Malawi. They were largely occupied in refugee camps, but some of them found their way in urban areas. So we have had a international migration for quite some time. Um, the, the, you know, following the crisis in Rwanda and Burundi, we had Burundians and Rwandans um, migrating to Maui and living in, uh, in, in our cities. Um, so that has been the case, but most of the um, the migration to cities is coming from rural areas to urban centers. Lad, are you, I mean, there is a certain African spirit uh, of getting things done and dealing with problems. Are you optimistic about the future of, of Malawi? Yes, <clears throat> I am optimistic. And, and what gives you that? What gives you that optimism? Is it the your students, or that you know the as I referred to the, you know the African spirit of getting things done and, and getting on with it? Uh, is that something about it? It's a combination of both. But I see the young generation as um, the catalyst for change. Um, they are very well exposed, as opposed to us when we were growing up, because there was no internet. But these days, they are very exposed. They they experiment with the new ideas, new skills uh, through the internet, and they, I see an innovative class of people coming up that will change this country. Well, we'll have to get a um, help, have to help set up a Malawi planning exchange, Loudon. What do you think? <laughs> well, that that would be a great idea. I think and, it's a fantastic idea. <laughs> and and, and Loudon, you've been on some field trips lately. Can you just describe to our listeners what they involve and what you were doing? Yeah, well, um, I went out in the field to evaluate a project. Uh, which uh, was instituted by Oxfam and uh, other uh, international non-government organizations. Um, that project was a pilot project to test the um, workability of one of the new land laws, which is the Customary Land Act. Um, in villages. Now, customary land, you in Australia probably would relate to this because of the uh, Aboriginal population that lives in customary communities. Most of our land is held by villagers in communal types of existence. The management, the way the, man, the land has been managed and administered has been the, through the, uh, the, the, the traditional customs of the various ethnic groups in this country. But they, that was not codified into a statutory law. So following the land reforms that I have referred to, one of the areas of reform was the um, customary land. So 
Alongside the other laws, the Customary Land Act was passed in 2016. Um, but before implementation, the government saw it fit to, to trial it, to trial the implementation before rolling out the, 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 um, the provisions of the new law throughout the country. So with funding from Oxfam, three districts were, um, were chosen for the pilots. And I went to one of those districts to evaluate the, the project. And that's why um, I went to that, that, that district and um, carry out some key informant interviews, focus group discussions, and get data from um, the population as, as the basis for the review. Well, well, that sounds like really raw, um, first-hand field, field work um, and, and, you know, potentially fascinating results coming from that work. But I, I wanted to ask you, you know, normally with first world, third world countries, it's all going one way. So, but what do you, th and that is, you know, what the West can teach uh, third world nations, but what do you think, uh, Malawi and more generally Africa can teach places like Australia about uh, planning and and just city living and and general living. Any, any suggestions? Well, we can teach you how to plan in a crisis yeah. using limited using limited financial resources and still have cities that function. I think it's a skill, but um, we can we can teach you guys about. Well, I imagine you know lots of resources makes makes us lazy and uh, makes us forget how lucky we are in the Western worlds with our cities and Absolutely. levels of Absolutely. you know just the acceptance or just the not even aware of how special clean water is that the systems mm -hmm. work that the drains yes. drain. Uh, all those things mm -hmm. that we take for granted. And, uh, and Ladin, you, you worked for, you know, many years in local government and experienced many local government battles about probably what you now consider very trivial matters about people complaining about how high, you know, or how high their building was, you know, well set back from land or overlooking or, or parking. I mean, you must look back at your days here in Australia and wonder, well, do these people really know that they're alive? Am I being harsh? <laughs> I'm sure you're too polite to say yes to that question. But, but any thoughts? Well, no, no, you're a very no, polite I, person. I can't be too polite. I have, I have, I have, to, I have to call a spade a spade, right? Mm. Um, these two systems are very, very different, vastly different. And sometimes I shake my head at, um, uh, the types of responses and solutions that um, the local planners here come up with um, to, 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 to their challenges, I just find them to be too narrow. And sometimes I have created enemies because I have not spared anybody um, for what, what they've been doing. And I'm glad that I'm in academia because I, I'm allowed to do that. Loudon as well, as, as, we've, um, as we've heard through this interview, you have a very unique perspective on planning and one that 
I think all of us wish that we had and had that experience of. Are there any other observations that you'd like to share with our listeners, being listeners all over the world? Observations. Very big question. (laughs) Maybe some lessons that you've learned that 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 have inspired you or made you a better planner or a better you know a better academic whatever mm-hmm. yes well planning is contextual we do what we do in malawi because of the context and um, if you look at it from the perspective of an outsider it would be so bamboozled by um the the, the, the vast differences between how planning is done in the prosperous uh, countries, especially in the West, and how it is done here in this country. I mentioned about the um, uh, academic exchange program with the university in, the, um, in Germany. When, um, whenever the, the students have come to, to Malawi and have been exposed to the challenges of those people who live in squatter settlements, in slums, and the the planning approaches that we have devised as an investor to address those challenges. We call it upgrading um, of slums. Um, These these are unique approaches that um, you in the Western world will never have thought of uh, because everything goes smoothly. You have the political will, you have the financial muscle to deal with your problems. So these types of problems would not emerge in the first place. There's no way that you'd end up with a, a vast expanse of land that is illegally occupied by people who have built substandard structures that they call housing. There's no way. So that's a different perspective that um, my experience in Malawi has offered. Um, Loudon, we're coming to the end of our podcast, unfortunately. Um, maybe we can come back, Jess, and interview Loudon in a couple of years' time. What do you think? Sounds like a fantastic idea. <laughs> now, Loudon, we, we move on to what we call podcast extra, which is we ask our, our subject something they've watched, experienced, read, or something else that they've done that might be of interest to our listeners. Uh, can you contribute something there? So, so, something that's something that's you know piqued your interest, that you've enjoyed, that you think our listeners might might well just something interesting. And it doesn't have to be related to planning. <laughs> no, it's definitely not. <laughs> well, my cultural shock upon coming back to my home country has been a, has been amazing. I used to think that I was, I was familiar with my cultural um, uh, practices until I came back. Um, now I've, I've, I, I live, I live in a city. I live in the cities, but my extended family uh, lives in rural areas, and whenever there has been occasion for me to interact with them in the in the rural context, especially after a funeral, at a funeral, sorry, uh, or uh, lately at the wedding ceremony. You know, the amount of ignorance of my own cultural, uh, of my own culture has come 
to the fore in 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 those occasions because sometimes I feel like an outsider. Sometimes uh, I get I get frustrated why things are done in a certain way because my mind has been westernized. Um, so it has been a cultural shock, despite the fact that this is my culture. I think that's just something that um, your your listeners will find interesting. Absolutely, loud, and that's and how do you go about re-engaging with your culture, learning about thing, learning about things? How do you do that? Well, it's very difficult, Peter, because uh, some of these aspects of culture are learned through what we call initiation. Now, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I grew up in a city. So as, a, as, a, as, a, as a, an adolescent, um, most people, most young men go back to their home villages to get initiated into their culture. So they go to initiation camps for some, some of them for a month where they are the, 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 the values of the culture, the essence of the essence of the culture is drilled into them. I didn't mm-hmm. have that opportunity growing up. Right? Because I grew up in the city and my 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 family, my my brothers especially, and my grandfather discouraged any of us from uh, doing that type of thing. We just looked down upon um that uh, aspect of African culture. So because I was not initiated, and now I, I just, I, just um, I, I came back home after a long um, absence from my, my country. So I didn't get the time to learn my, uh, certain aspects of my culture. Um, now, it's very difficult to, to learn these things because you learn these things firsthand through the initiation process, which I didn't, I never, I was never involved in. And as a grown-up now, it's very embarrassing to ask basic questions about how do you approach um, a person who is deceased, and you are in a in a village context. Do you? Do you, do you mourn as they do? Uh, what do you do? Sometimes I just keep quiet and just observe things. Sometimes they pull me aside. No, 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 this is not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do this. Learning all the time. But I find it very frustrating. Oh, Loudon, your, um, your honesty is humbling uh, uh, for me um, to hear that. Um, now, Jess... Um, what's your podcast extra, Jess? Hmm, I've been very unexciting <laughs> the last couple of weeks, but I have been doing quite a lot of work around the house, so lots of painting and lots of um, odd jobs like that. So I've got, you know, I feel like I'm constantly covered in paint at the moment, which is um, which has been fun, but um, nothing other than that really, Pete. That's sort of been taking up most of my time. What about you? Well, after Loudon's um, discussion, mine mine feels very very shallow. But uh, I've been sorry, Loudon. You've you've, <laughs> you've humbled me once again. You, you, <laughs> I should have said the same thing. You, you humbled me on the dance floor, and now at the VCAT, and now this. So, yeah, um, 
Now, the uh, I've been making soup, Jess, and uh, I've made my second glass house. And uh, I'm busy loud and I'm redoing a big replanting program up in a place I've got in the country. Wow, in the, out there in Ballarat? Uh, out, out of Ballarat. Um, it's sort of um, in between Ballarat, Geelong and Melbourne. So got a, got yes, a couple yes. Of... I think I've been to your place. I think you've taken me to your place. Yeah, no, this is a new place. So, <laughs> But I'm, I'm, I'm re- regenerating a lot of that, uh, that, that property, well, some of it. So I'm growing a lot of seedlings from, from, from the seeds right up to replanting. So that's kept me busy. And- and importantly, Pete, how are the bees going? And also, Loudon, I've got a beehive up there, and um, the bee. Yes, I love. And the the unfortunately, Jess, there's not a lot of food for the bees at the moment. So um, you'd be surprised. You can have you know hundreds of acres of bush, Loudon, but if if things aren't flowering, there's not much food for the poor, poor, poor little things. But they can go bang very quickly. So they're they're coming along. The colony is getting bigger. But um, there'd be a small yield of honey. So, Loudon, this has been a terrific interview. One, one, um, one that I hope our listeners really uh, relish. Um, and uh, you've been a great guest, and you've been uh, a dear friend over the years. And I, we can't wait to find out more about your progress, Jess. What do you think we return to Malawi at one stage? I would love that. I think that'd be really, really, really good. Well, uh, Peter, Peter and Jess, I'm extending my warm hand of welcome to Malawi. Well, it'll be it'll be a great a, a great experience to have you here in Malawi. Uh-huh. I've had two Australian friends come to see me in Malawi lately. Mm-hmm. So after after COVID, COVID, please, you know, make it a point to to come and visit me. Well, I understand the African hospitality is second to none, Loudon. So. I'm, um, and I, I know what character you've got, so I'm sure it will be an excellent time. Uh, Loudon, thanks again so much for doing this interview. Um, Jess, um, always good doing interviews with you. So all the very best, Loudon. Thanks very much, Loudon. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for having me. Thanks for your time. And all the best. It's, Thank you. It's been a great privilege. <laughs>